0: I've mentioned that we have been doing a number of different lessons on Sunday night as we're looking at some of the uh, people that are described in regards to their faith. And this lesson is more of an accidental lesson, if you will, in that this lesson came about because of all the work I had done with our Jacob series that we had done those five or six lessons and in studying deeply about Jacob came across obviously a, a, a passage that I knew, uh, but it struck me in in a very different way that I thought I need to look at this again, and the, its message I think is very important. One of the things that is interesting as you just think about the book of Genesis is that there is and you start at chapter twelve and thinking about the the people of faith of God that there is so much attention placed on Abraham, And there is quite a bit of attention placed on Jacob and uh, quite a bit of text really given to Joseph. And there's very little text about Isaac. Isaac is a little bit of a curiosity in that he kind of quickly moves through as if transitioning from Abraham uh, to Jacob. And even most of the things that are told to us about Isaac really are kind of more central in regards to Jacob and Esau and the things that are going on there. The reason why I thought this was particularly striking is in in Hebrews chapter 11, you have a listing there of all of these different people who did these amazing things by faith. And you can think about Abraham, as it'll say there, who offered up his only son and you have Moses and what he was doing. And this is what you're told about Isaac. One sentence and one sentence only. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And I've never really slowed down to think that's a really curious thing for the writer of Hebrews to put in the sky and say, now here's what I want you to know about Isaac. He made future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And you're supposed to understand why that's great faith. So let me talk about that for a minute, because I don't know that if we were going to think of the life of Isaac, the first thing that would come to our minds... In terms of pictures of faithfulness would be that he blessed his sons. So that would probably not be up there. I think if it were me writing it, I would say when Abraham and Isaac have the discussion on going to the mountain and, and Isaac asks, where's the wood for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God's going to provide that. Isaac did not revolt and say, I'm out of here, dad. There's no way we're going through with this. But, but yielded to his father and they both went up together on the mountain and went through this this whole thing together and yet that's not the point that the writer of hebrews makes i want to also note that i how to kind of if i will create the problem here and then once we get there we'll talk about what i think the writer of hebrews is pointing to but in in terms of saying that by faith isaac made future blessings on jacob and esau it's not like that's a unique thing in the book of genesis Abraham blesses his sons, Isaac blesses his sons, Jacob blesses his sons. We even read later on that Moses will bless the whole tribes of the, of Israel. It is nothing that seems terribly remarkable. When you are reading through and you read Isaac dispensing the blessing that you would go, oh, wow, this is really a great thing of faith because you saw Abraham do that. And, you know, Jacob's going to do that and you're going to see other people do the very same thing. But one of the things that I think is particularly interesting is that when you come to the account of Isaac It doesn't seem to be an act of faith because of what Isaac believes he's doing. All right, now let me back up for a minute. As to the curiosity of this. Now, if you want to keep your marker or ribbon or uh, bookmark over in Hebrews, we'll come back here in a little bit. But we need to spend some time in Genesis and unearth a little bit of what is being told to us about Isaac. And when we look at this and we'll start being able to see why this would be helpful uh, to us in our faith. But a very important thing is told to us back in Genesis chapter 25. Remember that Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is barren. And Isaac is praying to the Lord for his wife in Genesis 25 and 21 because she is unable to have children. And the Lord grants that prayer and they now are going to have fraternal twins. And if you remember, there is such a struggle in Rebecca's womb that Rebecca then inquires of the Lord essentially what is going on. This is you uh, Almost imagine a wrestling match between two children inside here and this poor pregnant woman. And so she's requiring, what is this? And in verse 23, God gives an answer and says that these boys ultimately represent two nations. One will be stronger than the other. And the really key important prophecy that is given here to Rebecca and to Isaac about these boys is that the older will serve the younger. That is a very important declaration that is given to them. The older Esau is going to serve the younger before they were even born. God has set this forward as the, the piece by which They are going to go forward in life. But the thing that is so interesting about the knowledge of this is when you come now to Genesis chapter 27, you will notice that we're told here in verse one that Isaac was old and his eyes were weak and he could not see. And he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, look, I am old and do not know the day of my death. Now take your hunting gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt some game for me. Now listen, then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat so that I can bless you before I die. One of the things that Isaac is setting up here in chapter 27 is his intention is to bless Esau. And that's what he tells Esau to go do. You're the oldest, I want to go and bless you. And one of the reasons why we're told back in chapter 25 about what might be going on with this, about why Isaac's intention is to bless Esau rather than Jacob is we're told quite specifically that Isaac loved Esau and, and because he ate his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so Isaac has a a preference for for Esau in in all of this. And lest we think that, well, maybe what Isaac is doing is he's just kind of giving some general blessings to his kids before he dies. I want you to listen to the, the blessing that he bestows on who he believes to be Esau. Notice in verse 27 of chapter 27. So he, came, so he came closer, says Esau, I mean Jacob, but he thought it was Esau, and kissed him. And when Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, "Ah, oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. Now listen to what he pronounces next on Jacob, believing he's Esau. Verse 29. May peoples serve you and nations bow in worship to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow in worship to you. Those who curse you you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. So this is really curious because Isaac proclaims a full blessing believing that he's putting that on Esau and gives him the blessing that says, you're the superior, you're the one that's head. Let everybody worship and bow before you, even your mother's sons. So therefore, Jacob, what he thinks, and have all the richness of the land. It's the full-blown blessing that he is dumping right here on what he believes to be Esau. And so this goes back ultimately to my question, which is so curious to me is of all the things to say that Isaac did by faith, to say that he blessed his sons, when it appears that it was his full intention to not bless Jacob but to bless Esau and yet it was through the deception, remember the whole plan of how that came about, where we're told there in chapter in chapter 20 in chapter 27 that heard what Isaac had done and had said, okay, he's going out to get the game, but I'm going to make the meal up real good. And remember, Jacob says, this isn't going to work because my brother's really hairy and I'm not. And so, you know, as soon as I walk in, this is all going to be blown. And, you know, so he, okay, let me get some goat's hair and stick it on your arms and on the back of your neck. And that's going to be the means by which we're going to trick him. So I want you to think about how the writer of Hebrews could be possibly saying that Isaac showed faith in blessing his sons when he intentionally attempted to bless Esau rather than Jacob. It doesn't seem to work right. All right. So I hope I've now sufficiently stumped you. Let's work through this now. Because the actual thing is I was, we're going through our study of Jacob, but I'm like, This is really curious about what Isaac's doing right here in in, in all of this. But I want us to think about the faith of, of, of what happens here with Isaac after all of this unfolds. I love in chapter 27 and verse 30 how this plays out because it says as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob... And Jacob had left the presence of his father, Isaac, his brother Esau arrived from his hunting. This you know, just one of those things like a typical movie would be. It's like, oh, as soon as the one walked out, here came the other one. There's almost no waiting whatsoever. And he comes in with, with the game. And he says in verse 31, let my father get up and eat some of his son's game so that you may bless me. So here he is ready for this, this grand blessing that's going to be given to him. And in verse 32, Isaac says, who are you? And he answered, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Verse 33, Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Well, I think this is interesting to consider for a minute. There's this sudden reality that is now coming upon Isaac at this moment. And he begins trembling uncontrollably. Verse 33, who was it then Who hunted game and brought it to me. I ate it all before you came in and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed. I want you to think about this for a minute. Because if you were to have something like this happen to you, would we not say, okay, Everything has been voided out. This was on deception. This was built on lies. You know, nothing that I said can possibly be held together because... This is breaking contract because you essentially purported a whole lie before me. And so let me revoke all of the, the, the blessings. The contract is no longer binding with the intent to defraud. We have that in our own legal system today. And that's your intent, intent to defraud in a contract. That's not going to fly. You can't do that. And you could have Isaac do that right here and say, okay, this is no good. This was all a lie. Jacob, get back in here. I'm going to put a curse on you instead for tricking your dad, even though I'm blind. How dare you? And then give a blessing to Esau. But it's really interesting that Isaac doesn't do that. Isaac says, I ate this game before you came in and I blessed him. And then notice what he says next. Indeed, he will be blessed. He doesn't say, now let me fix that. Hold on a minute. But really interesting that in the blessing, he goes forward with it because what it appears to be is this light bulb moment about what is going to happen. In fact, jump down to verse 37. As you have Esau pleading for a blessing. Notice what Isaac says to him in verse 37. But Isaac answered Esau, look, I have made him master over you. Now, I want to take a step back and go, you understand what Isaac thought he was doing to Esau. I made him master over you. He was trying to make Esau the the, the head. And when Jacob takes it, he says, here, Esau, here's what's happened. I made him master over you and have given him all of his relatives and his servants and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? I want you to note that not only telling him that, but he doesn't tell him. Okay, now in verse 37, after imagine Esau pleading, where's my blessing? I was supposed to receive the blessing and Isaac go, All right, let me revoke that and start over. Instead, he confirms it again and says of Jacob, he will be master over you. That is the blessing and he will be blessed indeed. In fact, notice he says it again in verse 40. You will live by your sword. That's speaking to Esau still. And you will serve your brother. And when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. So over and over again, something seems to be happening to Isaac in this moment. That Isaac seems to be full bore trying to bless his oldest son Esau rather than Jacob. And he tells Esau, go hunt the game. I'm going to bless you. He pronounces the blessing in which he would be master over the family and go through all that. And once Jacob steals that blessing and leaves It appears to me that Isaac in verse 33, as he begins to tremble uncontrollably, has what I would try to just call almost this light bulb moment where he understands what is happening. That everything that God had said he was going to do happened. Even though Isaac did whatever he could at that moment to resist it. Even though Isaac and Rebekah were told Jacob will be the one who is greater, the older Esau will serve the younger, Isaac runs right against it and tries to make that not happen. And yet, even though he tries to resist God's plan, God still has it work out where the older will serve the younger and Jacob receives that, that very blessing. And at this moment, it appears that Isaac now understands That this is God's will, because as I just read for you three times, he observes, no, that's the way it's going to be that he is going to be your master and he is going to be the one who is going to be over you. And I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to revoke it, even though Esau, pleads, give me the blessing. Isaac says, no, the blessing is going to belong to him. So let's go back to the question of Hebrews 11 and verse 20. By faith, Isaac pronounced these future blessings on Jacob and Esau. That what you see Isaac doing is another instance of a common thread in chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, which is faith yields to God's will Even when it's really hard to do. It is not Isaac's will initially for Jacob to be the greater. We're told he loves Esau and he tries to bring that about. And yet over and over again, one of the points that the writer of Hebrews is is making in chapter 11 is trying to underscore the necessity of faith that yields ultimately to the will of God. In Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 17, we're told there that Abraham was tested and offered up his son Isaac. Was that going to be easy? Certainly not. We are certainly impressed and amazed by Abraham's faith. Listen to what it says about Moses in verses 25 and 26. In speaking about Moses, it says he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Notice that we're told of Moses the same idea of being willing to submit to God's will, even when that wasn't easy and even when that wasn't, wasn't comfortable or even what, when it wasn't what he ultimately de- would have desired in terms of the flesh. And the big picture that you're seeing in Hebrews 11 that you see even in the surrounding context is the idea that faith is willing to stop resisting God and yield ultimately to God's will. Now, I want you to think about that. If I were to put in the parenthesis of the idea of what I believe the writer of Hebrews is saying and talking about Isaac blessing his sons by faith, I think the intent is this, that Isaac blessed his sons about their future, even even though those were not the blessings He wanted for those particular sons, (laughs) but he did it by faith. Those were not the blessings he wanted for Jacob and Esau. He wanted them turned over. He wanted what was given to Jacob to be given to, uh, to Esau and what was given to Esau to be given to Jacob. And yet at that moment, you see Isaac now having this understanding that he needs to stop resisting the will of God and yield to God's will in regards to this. Now think about how you see that picture in a number of different places in in terms of, 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 of these pictures that are given to us in Hebrews. If you jumped ahead to Hebrews chapter 12, and notice after describing all of these people of faith, you're told this very important picture about Jesus. There in talking about we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse two, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. And despise the shame that sat down at the right hand of the throne of God to state this to the theme of what the book of Hebrews is doing. The idea is you don't see Jesus resisting God's will but yielding to God's will. How is he able to do that? Well, he tells us because of the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He disregarded the shame of what the cross entailed and submitted to the will of the father. You see that also surrounding our context back in chapter 10 and listen to the words of verse 36. Actually, verse 35, let's start in verse 35. Hebrews 10, verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that after doing what God after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. There is a picture here that is being developed by the writer of Hebrews that chapter 10 sets the table and says You have need of endurance to do the will of God. And then he starts describing people who ended up doing hard things. And he starts with Abel and he starts moving his way through and talking about, look at the faith of these people who in the face of the difficulty, even if it was something against their will, even if it was something hard, even if it was unpleasurable, or even if it was down to the point of death is where he ends in chapter 11, talking about people who were sawn and two and going through all these difficulties they still submitted to the will of God they yielded their own will to God's will and that's how their faith was displayed thus then chapter 12 ends by saying and look to Jesus because what did he do the very same thing what I want us to see in Esau is that the I mean in Isaac is that the reason he is set here as a picture of faith by just simply saying well he blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come is because Genesis 27 is saying there was a point where Esau finally stopped resisting and held the blessings as God wanted him to ultimately have done in the first place. And that's why he tells Esau, Jacob will be blessed and you will serve him and he will be the one. Rather than saying, let's undo this, let me keep pressing against the will of God He ultimately submits to the will of God. Now, here's what I want to talk about just for the final few minutes of this idea. Is there something in our lives in which we are actively resisting the will of God? And as I thought about this idea, this is, I think, one of the areas in which it is easy to see in ourselves and in others and in the people of God in scriptures that we'll look at in just a minute. It's easy to become angry because we are pushing for a particular way that isn't God's will. Isaac is pushing in that chapter for Esau to be the master and the son of of blessing. But that wasn't God's will. And that was not God's intent. And sometimes it can be really hard to be in our present circumstances, to be where we are and look at God and go, God, that is not what I want to have happen. I'm resisting this idea, I resist my circumstances, I don't like what's going on. God, you've made a mess of things and you need to fix it right now. Because this is the way I want things to be. And I want you to to notice that this is something that you see addressed in the book of Job. I'm so glad we got to study that a few years ago and go through the questioning that happens there. I want you to listen to how uh, Elihu talks to to Job after Job has challenged God about what God is doing in his life. He says to Job, behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? We'll come back to that question in a minute. Who has prescribed for him his way? Or who can say, you have done wrong? You know, there's a a great temptation when life doesn't go according to plan, when things are not going the way that we want, to be able to tell God, uh, this is not the right way. You're doing wrong. This doesn't make sense. I don't like this. And I love how Elihu just simply asked the question, who is a teacher like God? Because put it on the other foot. What we're trying to do is tell God we're the teacher. (laughs) You need to know, let me teach you how this is all supposed to go. Let me teach you how my life's supposed to be. Let me teach you how all this is supposed to play out. Or who has prescribed for him his way? Who told God which way he should go? (laughs) And please think about this one. Who can say you've done wrong? apply that who can sit here right now and say God you have done me wrong in my life where I am in my life and the circumstances that I'm facing and the trials that I'm going through and all the hardship you've done wrong Elihu says who can really tell God that we sometimes feel that way but Elihu says, don't do that. Then God gets to chime in on this as well when he talks to Job. This is God's words himself to Job. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me so that you may be in the right? What I want us to think about is what God is ultimately working toward in terms of our faith is the need to accept the circumstances of our lives, believing that God is at work and being able to yield to those circumstances. Now, let me clarify the word accept for a minute. Because what I don't mean by that is, so we do absolutely nothing and we just don't care and we're just kind of neutral and we just float around and there's God doing what he's doing. Obviously, We work to try to bring things to a particular outcome that we think are godly and right. But we understand that where we are in our circumstances right now, God has us here. And we believe that God is doing something and that God is at work in our lives. And we're going to yield to those outcomes. And one of the things that I think is striking about Isaac is that the story as it's told to us in what little details we get about his life is a picture that becomes similar to his son that you read about in Jacob. That there is a life that is spent in resisting what God is going to accomplish and then finally realizes you're not going to resist God and ultimately understands I just need to believe in God and yield to his will. And that appears to be the defining moment that the writer of Hebrews is putting his finger on. That is not just simply, oh, he blessed his sons, how nice, like his father had done and like Jacob will do. But rather in the moment of blessing the sons, he came to realize a particular outcome, that it was time to trust in God's will and to stop resisting God's plan. And I think... It is so tempting when life doesn't go according to plan and life doesn't go the way we think it should go to be angry at God, to tell God he's wrong and to do what I can to resist these situations rather than looking at it and saying, "Okay, you have me here for a reason. What is your will? What should I be doing to carry out your will and your purpose, even in this difficult circumstance? We don't have time, but just in your mind, just think about all the people of faith in chapter 11. And how ultimately that's what it boiled down to. That each of them by faith believed God was at work. In spite of their terribly difficult circumstances that they were facing. And Jesus is the example in which you can see God at work, though even on the outside you'd say, What are these terrible circumstances? What is God doing? And thus the writer of Hebrews tells us that we have the need for endurance. And so for myself, I think maybe it's time to reflect and shudder violently like Isaac did at the fact that sometimes we can be trying to resist God rather than yielding to God like Isaac did. And God has us here right now for this moment. And as Elihu said, there is no teacher like him. And he's teaching us something right now. And he has us in that space so that we will learn a deeper faith. And to be with him and walk with him faithfully, believing that he's at work in our lives. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, it can be very difficult to see your hand and believe you're at work when we look at circumstances in our lives that just don't seem right and that don't seem fair. Lord, it can certainly feel that way when we feel like we are enduring evil and mistreatment. When Lord, things just seem like they're going wrong. And nothing seems like it's going according to plan. So, Lord, I pray that you would, you would awaken our hearts and help us to see that you're at work in the moment. And help us to see when we are ultimately trying to resist how you are teaching us and how you are accomplishing your, your purposes Lord, forgive us for when we have been angry at our circumstances. Forgive us when we have challenged you, where we have wondered where you are in these things, and we've actively tried to go against you. Forgive us for when we have put you in the wrong so that we can vindicate ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that kind of understanding that Isaac had in that moment help us to see when you are clearly working and help us to have the endurance to run the race that is set before us. Give us the faith so that when we go through hard circumstances, we will not give up and we will not lose heart. But instead, we'll draw closer to you all the more. Lord, help us to hold on to that faith. Give us that faith that we need for the days that we have ahead of us. Because, Lord, we know there's more difficulties that will come, more ways our faith will be tested. Help us to know that you are walking with us in this journey so that we, by faith, will be able to be with you for all eternity. We pray this through your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. The more I get to look at these these people as they're recorded for us in scriptures, the more I am, can I use the word excited, I guess? I grew up in the pews and in kids class, everybody was portrayed as a perfect hero who never did wrong. And there is something refreshing to get to look at the details of their life and see, actually, they struggled too. And they actually had struggles with their faith. And they actually made wrong decisions. But ultimately began to understand what God was doing and walked with him by faith. And Isaac's another one of those figures. And I hope that if you are struggling with God right now, if you're wrestling with him, if you're dealing with a a crisis of faith, that you'll think about what we see in the life of Isaac and consider what you can do to yield to his will and to turn to him with all of your heart, that God is the perfect teacher and that he is at work and he can help you through these things. So if there's a way that we can help you tonight, we would love to be able to encourage you in that way. If you would just let us know uh, if any way we can do for anything we can do for you, prayers for you, any other things, if you would be willing to do that, you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.